Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to the second Clash of the Titles Fanuary of the Year, the podcast that this January pits two movies with something in common picked by fans of the show and puts them in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week, in the red corner, we're saying damn the man and celebrating frickin' Rex Manning Day as we go music shopping 1995's Empire Records. Well, in the blue corner, more music store mayhem as Nick Hornby's novel moves to Chicago and we find out if 2000's High Fidelity makes our top five. Dad, what are you doing? I wanted to have a little chat with Warren. Yeah? Have a little chat with my gun. What do you want, Warren? Stop calling me Warren! My name isn't fucking Warren! His name isn't fucking Warren. His name isn't fucking Warren. His name isn't fucking Warren? I thought his name was Warren. And I talked to God, and she says, yo, what's up? And um, she wants you to lose the gun. You're psycho. You are psycho. What the hell is wrong with you people? Excuse me, I was in... In a my... minute. Couldn't you be any more obvious than that, Rob? How about, uh, I don't know, the Beatles? How about fucking, fucking Beethoven? Track one side one of the Fifth Symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store? Can you still have that, uh... Beef our French import safe as milk? Um, ah, yes, here it is. How much you want for it? This, oh, no. You know what? I don't think I'm selling it this week. Maybe next oh, week. Oh, no, you said that last week. Did I? So it's a record store ruckus this week, but which film will be victorious? Let's find out. Welcome to Clash of the Titles Fanuary. The Hello, Clash Butters. My wife left me for another woman and my girlfriend forced me to leave at gunpoint. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Rompton. <laughs> I'm Chris Telly. And welcome to our second Fanuary special. As I said, we've had literally hundreds of suggestions, but the lines are still open, callers. So if you do have a Clash that you'd like us to do this Fanuary or possibly February Fanny, you can still email them in to show at clashpod.com with what? What do they have to do? A reason would be great. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're, you're up for still having more. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say Fanuary is closed, but February okay. Fanny is wide open. <laughs> So, yeah, we got we got this month planned out. Uh, but Freb, you, Fanny, uh, we need we need a Valentine one as well. So think of some weird romance. Oh yeah, yeah. What, what do Alternative, we, yeah. we call it. Yeah, yeah. Something dark. Yeah, that's what we Something want. Something messed up. We want to really destroy Valentine's Day because <laughs> we hate it. <laughs> so the clue we gave on last week's show. I was trying to remember. It feels like so long ago. I think mine was. I had to listen. It's music. Was the is the food of love? And yeah. We agreed that food shouldn't be in there. Then someone else had another one shop till you drop right shop till you drop anyway the guessers were found wandering the aisles of our twitter at ClashPod. if you want to give us a follow we're also on instagram and tiktok at ClashPod as well and if you're in the business for a little extra class check out our youtube channel with some classic moments from the last few years of clashing so who won this week with the first correct guess Congrats to longtime listener and live show stalwart Gemma Page. Yay! Nailed it, nailed it. She was the first correct guest this week. Well done, Gemma. Uh, she says at our next live show, she plans to show us her impression of the Predator, which right. she describes as uncanny and which her husband Reese describes as terrifying. <laughs> okay. So there's that to look forward to. Okay, connection section. Do you want to know who suggested this pair? Uh, yes. That would be nice, actually. Before we do the connection section, that would yeah. be a right order to do things in. Why not? Mm. Uh, four, count them, four people have made this Great. suggestion. Wow. Uh, Dean Tipton and Gavin Thomas. I don't believe they had reasons. Um, <laughs> but Dave, <Gloss> over those. <laughs> David Nowell Cook said, I'd bloody love Empire Records. I'm the only one of my friends who knows about it slash loves it. And high fidelity for a vinyl selling clash. <laughs> You're going to love this episode. <laughs> And then someone else suggested Empire Records versus High Fidelity, Record Store Romances and fucking great soundtracks. Much love from episode 128 winner, Rich Cracknell. Yay! <laughs> oh, OK then. So shall we do the connection section now? Yeah. Uh, young punk kids shoplifting yep. before being welcomed to the Record Store family. Yeah, I thought that was very specific, very specific. wasn't it? Wasn't yeah. it? And also those thieves having their music selection judged by the store mm. owners. Mm. Uh, breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. happens a lot in both films. Mm. I've got a really good one. <laughs> Are you ready? But yeah, now I am. So uh, when High Fidelity was first optioned, Scott Rosenberg wrote a version. Mm. But that version was later ditched. Then we get into some credit arbitration stuff, which we'll go into later. Anyway, Scott Rosenberg's version has a Tower Records type store moving across the street and the record shop that's got Rob Gordon in it is trying to compete with this new big record store. Yeah. It sounds quite good. Yeah, it sounds like Empire Records a little bit, but um, good. Thanks. Good connection. You were right to preempt that. Yeah, by saying it was good. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Famous music stars within the confines of the movie visiting said record star. Rex Manning. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant real people. What's chops? Right. No, no, no. No, within, that's why I said within the confines yeah, of the movie. Sorry. They are famous yeah, music, yeah. Music, music stars, stars yeah. of the music world. Uh, staff who probably shouldn't work in a record store. Mm. Uh, staff who want to be singers in bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah. Any more? Yeah. No. Oh, great, then. On Thursday, we'll be getting high fidelity which means today it's freaking rex manning day on clash of the titles as we're becoming part of the empire let me take you on a journey 
A bunch of achingly beautiful people who look like the four non-blonde stylists just threw up on them work in a record store. Except they don't actually work. They have pretend funerals, do oil paintings out the back, and generally do what corporate Hollywood studios believe constitutes <laughs> mid-90s alternative culture. That's right. For a film obsessed with sticking it to the man, this has the man's fingerprints all over it. But we're not here to just tear down this wonderful institute of counterculture. We're not the music town to Empire Records delightful melting pot of teen angst. So let's look at the positives. Rex Manning is brilliant. <laughs> That's right. The on-screen representation of the man is the best thing in an anti-the-man movie. Go figure. Class winners for your consideration. Empire Records. So, individual histories with this movie. When did you see it? Where did you see it? What did you think, Victoria? <laughs> so I, was, I think I saw it around the time it came out. I didn't go to the cinema to see it. And I know... That I was young because it was it ninety five. Mm-hmm. I left school in ninety seven, and around ninety six, ninety seven is when I started uh, being in a band and hanging out in a, this very specific indie bar, mm. which I loved. And all I remember from the film is Liv Tyler's blue jumper, mm-hmm. and I was like, I have got to get me one of those. So I, I just spent ages searching for a baby blue Angora cardigan, which I eventually found with these bejeweled buttons, and it was gorgeous. And I wore it, and that's all I remember about Empire Records. Did you pair it with a short tartan no, miniskirt? No, no. That was never that. I, I've never had the build for that ever, right. and not now, not not then, and never in between. I've never seen so many bare midriffs. No, it's bare midriff the movie. Yeah, it's. I don't mind that. I could do that. I wouldn't do that, but I could do that. But it's the already skirts. a better film. <laughs> it's just the, those skirts. I mean, no, I just couldn't. I just. I'm very. I'm very pear shaped, actually, guys. Let's just. I'll just throw that out there. I suit an A line skirt, <laughs> okay. but nothing like that. No. Okay. Pear shaped. I'm pear shaped. Is that yeah. what you? I don't. I've never considered. I've never looked at you and gone, oh, pear. Good. It's just. I think yeah. it's a term that like like just seventeen and girls magazines that I read growing up were like, what body type are you? Right, and I was okay. like, well, I'm a pear. And then it stuck <laughs> till, for now. And then like you say this to me, that makes me realise how ridiculous that is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when I was well, well, how old was I here? When I was like like sixteen, I was like, I'm a pear. I can't wear that. Okay. So no memory of whether you liked the movie or didn't like the movie. I mean, oh, I remember just thinking, sure, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Like okay. it didn't yeah, upset that's, me. That's exactly your attitude to everything. You're in a you're in a girl band. You're in a riot girl band. Yeah, whatever, cool. Maybe yeah. is it a movie? I don't know. Fuck you, Chris. I saw this at uni. Rented it on video. Watched with my mates. I thought everyone in it was a bit annoying, mm-hmm. and very personally, I found uh, the soundtrack very annoying. But I was surprised to read that it was a flop because it felt to me like this was just in the ether, yeah, in the culture I was of the time. Because it wasn't just, it was such a flop. Like it yeah. barely made anything. So I guess. <laughs> Which is bananas. I really. guess our generation are the only people that watched it, and even then, yeah. only a handful of us. There did. was a girl at university. Do you remember? Oh, God. Me and you, Alex, mm. when we were at university, there was, a, there was a girl who mm. was really into this film, and that's another thing I remember. No. Nope. And that's why when someone says it's got cult status, normally I'm like, fucking cult status. But it kind of rings true because you'd go to university, you meet these people you've never met and you're all now sort of 18, 19. They're like, yeah, Empire Records is the thing. Mm. I watched it when I was just too old. And I genuinely think your love for this movie comes down to exactly how old you were when you saw it. And I was just, I was a few years too old. I think I was about 16 and I was properly into that Gen X alternative grunge culture. I had the Nirvana t-shirt, I had my hair dyed. And this genuinely felt like Hollywood trying to commodify my 
like culture, my counterculture. Yeah. And I'd seen Clerks just before this, mm. and that felt authentic. And mm. this just felt like they'd gone, Clerks did well. Yes. Let's do that with a million billion dollars <laughs> and, you know, sell yeah. it to kids. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it at all. I felt manipulated by it. And, you know... My teen years are a long time behind me, you know. I'm not full of the angst. So I was excited to watch it again through fresh eyes and try and understand this cult status, yeah. beloved cult status that this movie has. So I'll tell you a bit about it then. Uh, Caroline Heikkinen, she worked at Tower Records in Phoenix and then in West Hollywood. She based a lot of her script for this movie on her experiences working at Tower Records. It was initially called Empire. She said in a 2014 interview uh, that she tried to write a story. You may have seen this film. I haven't seen this film. But she said she was trying to write a story like the Richard Pryor classic Car Wash, which takes place over one day at a car wash only at a record store. Seen it? Yep. Good? Yep. It is a classic. Yeah, yeah, we should do it. I can't believe I missed that. So uh, she was offered $325,000 up front for her script, followed by $200,000 if the film was made, plus 1% of any soundtrack royalties and 5% of the merchandising sales. And she took that, yes? She took that. Good. She took that. <laughs> when the way you said it, I thought she And she said no. No. She thought it was worth more than that. <laughs> no. <laughs> My inflection was, and I don't want to go too early on this because I was going to save it to the end, but you've already mentioned it. She got paid more for the script than the movie made at the US box oh office. Oh, yeah, wow. of course. It's mad. That's mad. Mad. And I imagine the soundtrack sold a few copies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but on a base level, ignoring the percentages, mm. she made more from selling a script than the movie made at the box office. Oof. So, the script arrives on Michael Nathanson's desk, president of Regency Pictures, and he hires director Alan Moyle to direct it. He just had some success uh, with a movie that I remember a lot of girls, not saying that's a reason, but I didn't watch it, called Pump Up the Volume <laughs> yeah. with Christian Slater. It's brilliant. I've been pitching us doing this. Really? Yes. Okay. I messaged you guys about two months ago and no one responded. <laughs> oh, really? I'm so sorry. I have no memory of that. It's so shit on WhatsApp. It's You're really so good. good. It's really good. All right. Uh, well, it was... Uh, Moyle Street credibility, Nathanson says, mm. Nathanson says uh, uh, with teens was part of what convinced him to greenlight the project. And also he wanted a great soundtrack and Pump at the Volume apparently has a great soundtrack. Does, yep. Another reason why Alan Moyle is our director. Uh, interestingly, he also worked as an actor. Uh, he appeared in David Cronenberg's Rabid as Young Man in Lobby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, sounds so, like an extra rather than that. Fine. Uh, right, Nathanson. Uh, he thinks Empire is going to be a surefire, low-cost hit. Now, I touched on this already, but the, the, the problem was that this movie was being made by boomers who had no understanding of where counterculture was at this point. And it was, it was the fact that, and it's a brilliant BuzzFeed article that you should check out all about this, there was a cultural skirmish, is what the article calls it, going on between Gen Xers fighting against corporations looking to exploit the alternative grunge scene. Right. So when it began filming, Kurt Cobain had just committed suicide. Mark Jacobs had put grunge on the high fashion runway and major record labels were throwing money at anything that might be the next Nirvana or Pearl Jam. And so everyone like who loved that scene just felt that Empire Records was attempting to reach a subculture notoriously resistant to being addressed directly, mm. which is what the movie's trying to do. I mean, you know, Mark even breaks the fourth wall, which we'll get into when we go through the film. So the final story I have is that two days <laughs> after greenlighting Empire Records... Nathanson receives a phone call from Amy Heckling's agent going, Amy Heckling wants you, Regency Pictures, to make her new movie, 
a little film called Clueless. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I can't. I'm making Empire Records. That's my hit. That's my teen hit. <laughs> and so misses out on $56 million, which is exactly $56 million more than Empire <laughs> Records made. So, as you said, it was a flop. I'm going to talk about that at the end. Um, shall we go through this movie? Love to. Okay. Let's meet Lucas, played by Rory Cochran. Uh, obviously brought in because he was so fucking cool in Dazed and Confused as Slater. Yeah. Um, Which we will do. Again, again, I'll say that one. <laughs> Dazed and Confused is coming at some point, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a good clash for Dazed and Confused... We've already got one. Oh, OK. Yeah. Don't email us at showandclassboard.com. <laughs> We're already on that. <laughs> so apparently uh, Cochran wasn't sure if he wanted the part or even wanted to continue acting. At this point, uh, Moyle describes him as a real existential dude. Um, according to one source, he asked for a price so high he knew they'd say no. They said yes. And so he decided <laughs> to do the movie. Uh, we also get another nod to Days and Confused. There's the soundtrack sticker on the cash register later. Then we meet Gina played by Rennie Selweger, who was the real-life girlfriend of Cochrane at the time. Uh, he encouraged her to audition, so she gets cast as Gina. And two minutes in, we get the revelation. Some plot, ladies and gentlemen. The Empire is going to become a music town franchise. Mm. Oh, two minutes in, we've got that engine under the story. A bit. Do you know when we'll revisit that? Two minutes from the end. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing. And also... We haven't seen the shop is literally closed. Yeah. So we he's Lucas is like oh, we can't become a franchise because this place is great. I haven't seen that though, have I? <laughs> I could do like it isn't enough. I go think you know, the man thinks it's enough to invoke a record store and we'll all go oh we know that those they're awesome. But mm. there are bad ones and good ones and so you need to see it alive buzzing, you know, whatever mm. in the daytime and then Lucas finds the papers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that entire prologue was was shot against the director's will. That prologue wasn't in the original cut. The right. whole Atlantic City thing. It's it originally turned. It was Lucas arriving on his motorbike outside the shop, and it's gradually revealed he's lost nine thousand dollars in Atlantic City. Regency went. No, 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 no. Exposition. People won't understand. The yeah. kids, these Gen Xers that we're trying to appeal to, they're stupid as well. <laughs> so we're going to have this whole Atlantic yeah. City. And thing. it makes it a really weird, disjointed start to the film. Mm. I wrote down this is weirdly slow, and before I read that oh no this was completely added on after the fact i agree with you it's the pacing but also it becomes uh hyper real because he's walking through a casino i can buy that i like rom-coms it's no problem for me hmm. oh look it's a 22 it's a where he predicts to a few yeah moves. yeah yeah then he throws the dice and he and he gets it you're like oh so you're a magical person hmm. that's okay that's fine it's a comedy no problem but then you can't do that and then do a hard right to like self-harm and suicide and popping pills like hmm. it's it's too tonally um abrasive hmm. It reminds me of some of the 80s and 90s American sitcoms for kids, though, that would do that same thing. Right. Where there'd be a magical character and then there'd be someone addicted to pills and say, by the bell, singing, I'm so excited, I'm oh, so yeah. excited, I'm so excited. And you're like, well, how? <laughs> this doesn't work. Totally, this is not working. Uh, the woman who tells Lucas, your sex, yeah. at the uh, yeah. craps table is actually Regency President Michael Nathanson's real-life girlfriend at the time. Cool. She's still his girlfriend. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're very happy together. That was judgmental. <laughs> they might I, be, yeah. I take that back. They're yeah. probably very happy, uh, but not with this movie. So Lucas promptly loses the money. Uh, we meet AJ and Mark, uh, played by Johnny Whitworth and Ethan Embry. Uh, so Mark, Toby Maguire was in the running for Mark, uh, but Embry was cast in the role. But Toby Maguire was apparently 
promised a part in this movie. So he gets cast as a character called Andre, uh, who is not in the final film. Uh, there's conflicting stories about what happened. Uh, allegedly, uh, he requested his scenes to be cut because he was struggling with alcoholism at the time and checked into rehab shortly after. The other story is that um, all the cast... Because unlike Clerks, which was shot for, what, tens of thousands of dollars, this had a $10 million budget. All the cast were put up in duplexes on the North Carolina beach. They all took mushrooms together. Uh, weed was everywhere. Maguire showed up, felt aimless, may or not have been consumed a, may or not have consumed a psychotropic drug, and somehow ended up in the basement of Moyle's beach house eating a giant bowl of cereal. Moyle found him there, talked to him for several hours. Maguire asked to go back to Hollywood to figure his life out and write a screenplay, which Moyle agreed to buy. <laughs> Maguire returned to Hollywood, and as far as Moyle knows, never wrote the script, but then he was in the ice storm and obviously Spider-Man. So no Toby Maguire in this. Um, as for Mark as a character, thoughts on Mark? Oof, no. Mm. I know. I don't want to be, I don't know. He's, he's obviously so meant to be lovable, silly little puppy dog, like daft, childlike. Oh, no. It's fine, apart from when he tries to kiss that girl when she's got her eyes closed. <laughs> and it's like, oh, so that's, well, then you're out. No, no, thank you. I just find him, I, oh, it's awful. It's not the actor's fault. It's just what he's got to say and do. It's the breaking the fourth wall. I just, I, I, I you yeah, know. but John Cusack does it and it's fine. So yeah, but John Cusack know. doesn't look at the camera and go, shoplifter! <laughs> You're like, I oh, know. what's that? I got, you know, when you get bad goosebumps, <laughs> I was like, this <laughs> yeah. is like rubbing polystyrene on a shag carpet. I was yeah. like, oh my God. It's, it's Ethan Embry who plays him, and I've told you I've had run-ins with him. An interesting character. Yeah. A big character. He said at the time he had very bad ADD, and so he just injected that into the character, these yeah. sort of mad flights of fancies, and the nonsense he says was, he said that was just me at the time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we find out it's fricking <clears throat> Rex Manning Day. <laughs> fricking. Ah, I mean, so the studio wanted PG-13. The original script was R-rated, which is why we don't get any smoking marijuana. We don't get any, like, drinking. We don't get anything, like, uh, anything that, you know, kids that age would be doing. And How certainly no swearing. Because Corey is going to Harvard. So what does that make her? 18, 17, 18? 18, okay. Yeah. That's well, it. I just wasn't sure. I guess they'd all be different ages, wouldn't they? If I they work in a record true. store. Yeah. Ethan Embry was 16 when he played right. Mark. But I don't know what age Mark's meant to be. Okay. Probably four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we meet Corey, played by Liv Tyler. Uh, she was cast because... Uh, She's gorgeous. And she was instantly recognisable uh, to, in Moyle's words, the MTV generation. In fairness, she's. I really like her. And I've always really liked her. But there is... I, do, I hate going, oh, when someone's gorgeous, they do well. But she is just so beautiful. But she was and, as famous to me as any actress at the time because yeah, of yeah. those two Aerosmith yeah. videos. Yeah. Yeah, it was the crazy one that convinced them to cast her, as she stars with uh, Willie Elisa Silverstone. Uh, Moyle says, after Tyler was cast and arrived on set, it was unclear if she could act or was just being herself. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what way to undermine someone's profession? <laughs> you don't actually know how to do this. It's just you. So Corey is going to offer herself to Rex Manning yeah. to take her virginity. Yeah. Now, I remember girls who were part of that scene and they were pretty, like, not like that. <laughs> what do you mean? No, they just weren't like... Say more. <laughs> they didn't fancy ageing rock stars no, and true. offer themselves up. They were quite, you know, independent, sort yeah. of, you know, like, self, like, you know, confident women. Yes. But I guess there is some self-loathing going on with her maybe or there's certainly a lot of fear she's taking all these drugs I mean, and speed makes you horny I remember that 
because we find out she's on she's on those diet pills. But you weren't you saving yourself for Rod Stewart? It's same it's same thing, isn't it? Rod Stewart. I'm trying to think. Of, that's a good comparison for Rex Manning. Yeah. It's, well, it is. It literally is the comparison. They wanted to go for Rod Stewart plus Tom Jones. That's the Rex oh, Manning we no. get. I think you've got to remember this is a girl whose dad sends her flowers at work. So you've got to understand she's got a bit oh, of yeah. fucked up attitude to sex. Like that. that's not normal. Oh, also, what a creep. Maxwell Caulfield is a very good looking man. Yep. And if you've seen Grease 2, you're probably going to want it as well. <laughs> I was, at first I was like, what did you say? But it's because she's with her girlfriend and girls do, you know, I'm not sorry, that's ridiculous. My experience of female friendships is even if your friend wants to do something that's fucking bananas and stupid, to be supportive, you'll be like, yay, go you! Which is really, rather than going, what, what? Why would you want to do that? That's disgusting. We're all, we're just like, yeah, if you want it, no problem. I will help you get that thing. So she said it, it, it gets really sour and horrible later. Mm. But in this scene with Gina in the car, I was like, that is the sort of stupid shit that people say and do. Well, that's why she's wearing the red bra yeah. with the white knickers because that was a scene that was cut where Gina actually gives her the red bra. A better bra, A yeah. better bra, yes. <laughs> a better bra. So uh, this is all happening on the same day. AJ is going to tell Corey he loves her. We meet Joe, Anthony Paglia, who is trying to get hold of Lucas and the money. Uh, he's ringing his phone and he says, come on, buckethead. Fine if you don't want to have swearing in your movie, but you can't then replace that with words that no adult would ever fucking say. Bucket, I didn't even notice. No, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice Come that. on, Buckethead. It's like, it's like preschool. Uh-oh, Mr. Buckethead's coming. It's just the stupidest thing. Anyway. Wasn't, wasn't Buckethead in, in Slash's band? He had a well, band. He, he, he had a KFC yeah. box on his head. He did, yeah. head, I'm sure. 100% yes. <laughs> what was that band called? What, the one after Guns N' Roses? Yeah, yeah. Revolver. Yeah, no, Velvet no, Revolver. Or no, Slash's Snake Pit. I don't know. Have you just made that up? No, he had a band <laughs> called Slash's Snake Pit, I think. <laughs> yeah. Buckethead was in a, a guitar band. Anyway. A guitar sorry, band, sorry. Awful. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly thought yeah. made me think of him. Sorry. Uh, we get uh, a moment that Heikkinen says happened in a lot of Tower record stores where employees fought over who was going to put a CD on. By the way, did either of you ever work in a record store? Better have a think then. No. no I there wasn't. An, I mean, Blackburn, there was like Andy's Records, which was an independent record store. Mm. And that got taken over by Virgin eventually. Oh, but God. it wasn't like this sort of hub where all your misfits could drop in. He was trying to sell records. so. But you did go to... I mean, I remember when we always we used to meet in town in Leeds, we used to meet on Brigger on, uh, outside the Virgin Megastore. That was like where we'd go because the first place you'd want to go. Because well, you can steal from there quite easily. You could back in the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Better question is, have you ever stolen from a record shop? Yes. Have you? Yeah, of course. Jesus. It's like a rite of passage, isn't it? No. Yeah, it is. For who? <laughs> Thieves. People yeah. at my school. I don't believe we have a statute of limitations in the UK so <laughs> this is bad can you and give me a day at a time been, whatever shit would have been nearest the door because I'm too afraid to like go in and get what I want who knows what it was wow you were the scary kid in the year then no because what, me I, well it sounds like it because the only person who ever we weren't once saw me and my like tabletop wargaming friends met outside Virgin Megastore and the cool sort of cool scary kid in the year not cool the scary one the cool kids were one you thing you can say it it's alright he comes up cool. and he goes do you want anything from inside the store and we're like nope. what and he's like, he's like I'll just go in and steal it for yeah. you. And I was like, no. No, 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 no. no. When no. I was a 
a kid, I would go to my uh, local video store was also the local record store. And it was tiny. It was like one aisle was videos and one aisle was records. So I went there all through my childhood, got to know the guy that ran it. I used to do drawings when I was little and he put them up on the walls there. Oh, that's nice. And then, and then yeah, when I was a teenager, every Saturday I'd be at HMV and Virgin in Croydon listening to the, the listening posts. Yeah. Which I forgot existed. Like yeah. this was a real lovely nostalgia hit watching this now. The Game Boys and the listening posts. And it was just, you forget what a, what an effort it was to hear new music. Yes. And find new music. And I kind of miss that a little bit. I, I mean, obviously, it. it's great having everything at your fingertips, but there was something fun about the chase. Definitely. And the research. And There was an indie, a, a like much more indie place in Blackburn across from the library. And you had to go and order the records off the label that you wanted. And you'd take, I'd take in the enemy and I'd be like, I want this, 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 and this. And you'd be like, well, in six weeks' time, you can have it. And I'd be like, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, see you in six weeks. Can't wait. Fine. So... <laughs> um, we get probably one of the greatest things in this movie, the video for Rex Manning's... Oh, it's awesome. Say no so good. more, Mana It's more. just such a shot of like actual comedy as well. You're like, whose idea was this? Mm. Brilliant. Perfect. Uh, the whole video is on YouTube and I did watch it all. Mm. It's really good. They Very were only, good. They were only going to shoot 17 seconds of it and then they started shooting it and they were like, this is fucking it's hilarious. Good. Yeah. It really works. And it's not even the worst song as well. No, it's all right. It's quite catchy. <laughs> that might be our age. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there is a good line here. Finally, you know, I like a good line, which is where Joe says to Lucas, what makes you think that? And Lucas says, who knows where thoughts come from? I like that. They just appear. Mm. Good line. Good writing. So we meet Deb. Deb was originally uh, maybe going to be played by Angelina Jolie. Yeah, uh, she basically played that character, didn't she, soon in after? Hackers, yeah. <laughs> and Girl, Girl Interrupted, I was thinking. Sure, yeah. yeah, that as well. Uh, Alan Ritchie, one of the producers, uh, says, uh, she came in like a force of nature with an insane powerful energy that blew everyone away. They tried to fit her into any of the three lead female roles, but she was just too much. Mm, right. Just too much. <laughs> You're too much. You're just too much. He says she would have eaten those roles alive. <laughs> Eat the life. <laughs> Sounds great. It does. Put her in it. <laughs> uh, but we get Robin Tunney as Deb, who, as you mentioned, suicidal. Uh, yeah. Pretty fucking dark. Yeah. It's a bit of a swerve. Mm. Uh, she shaved her head for real uh, for the role on camera. It was her idea that her character should shave the head, her real hair. I was obsessed with it. I was like, you're either super committed, which you probably you may be, or the director is excellent, or the director's a dick and has gone, shave your head, mm. and you've just done it. No, I was happy to read that, that it was all her idea, yeah. um, which is obviously why we get the craft and she's clearly wearing a wig for that movie. <laughs> but is it is it one of those films, why the cult has built up around this? I don't feel like this is a as a man watching it watching the male characters but is this the kind of film where girls that say oh I feel seen like I was one of these characters I am one of these characters I knew people like that they're very broadly drawn characters yeah. but I can see girls seeing themselves in these three different sort of archetypes oh, what, per- perfect sluts and mess yes so no one is any one thing but it's good to have those some people three, are. <laughs> those three <laughs> things represented mm. I mean, you're always trying to balance all these different aspects of yourself I definitely knew girls like Deb hmm but yep. I was, you know, if I, when I was 15, 16, I wasn't the caring, wholesome person I am now. And what? I just would have found them fucking annoying. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I'm quite caring. I feel I like I blacked out and woke up in a dream. Wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I don't know. I was struggling there. I'm it, not wholesome. Is it opposite stay? <laughs> what an Although, no, I'm being unfair because one girl I did know is a bit like that, but not with, with less self-harm. She's the person that introduced me to The Crow, which changed my life because it's the oh, best, God, one of the best films ever made. <laughs> did, it, did it win that week? Did it win that week? You though. did it. On, you did that on purpose, and I'm still. You see how to hurt you? Yeah, that is what I think. 
<laughs> People are just like one thing from this movie. People are just, I'm just AJ, you know, a tortured artist. Oh, really? Yeah. I was trying to figure out which one Alex would say he is. <laughs> the one with the hair. I thought he, he, I'm I, torn between Lucas, Lucas and, and AJ. Yeah, Lucas and AJ. I just can't decide. Which, which one are you, Chris? You're more like Mark. <laughs> I'm Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, are. Are. you are. You are Joe. Who, who are you? I'm not, I don't think I'm representing. I'm no, no one can be just one person. <laughs> well, that's true. Do you want to be just one person? AJ, yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm, I am a lot like He's like a drip. cardboard cutout a of a drip. person. Yeah, he's got nothing going on for him. He can't even really draw if I'm being me. <laughs> he doesn't have to explain his art, though. He glues coins to a floor. That's so true. Mm. Outside the box, Victor. Victoria. Think outside the box. That is art. So uh, we get that weird line where this is just such a strange moment. Someone says Lucas is acting odd today, which throws his entire character off kilter because we've only ever seen him like this. Like mm. this and which, we want him to be like this. Yeah. We like, like him like this. Yeah. This sort of weird, sort of like, you know, philosophical magic person. Yes. And to say this is this is not the regular Lucas, it's like, well, we're never going to see him and we don't know what that is, no. so maybe we won't like normal Lucas. What is he, really efficient and business-like? <laughs> yeah, you make a really good point. That is stupid, isn't it? Yep. And we discover Mark wants to be the singer in a band called Mark with a C, a, a dream which will swap characters by the end of this oh movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had it as my change and I had to take it out because I can't, I can't believe they've done that. What? Yeah. I've missed this. I told, how drunk were you on New Year's Eve when we spoke? Oh, I yeah, literally no, I told now. you I this. Now. I remember now. I remember now. Okay. All right. What so did I say? Because then they give it to Gina yeah. instead. All right, fine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You stop shaming me. <laughs> It's really annoying. I'm just because I'm normally the one who can't remember stuff when we have a drunk conversation. Fine. By the way, they, they didn't. The, the audience didn't hear what happened before we started the podcast. Sorry, yeah, Vicky. Vicky told, started to oh tell me. <laughs> she started to tell me a story that she told me on New Year's Eve, and then when I went, "You've told me this story," she's like, "No, it definitely happened on New Year's Day." It did. Well, she didn't because you told me it on New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just running it, and yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, so fine. All right, good. Um, no, but, but, but it's um, so it's Mark that's at this point wants to Mark, be singer in a band. Yeah. yeah, and I'm right for my change. Immediately. Well, he doesn't. He's not in the band yet, so he should be on stage with the band at the end. Yep. That should be fulfilling his dream. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then someone. Oh no, they've switched. They've yep. got a switcheroo. <laughs> for, no, for no apparent reason, Gina just goes. By the way, I want to be a singer. <laughs> I want to be the singer in a band. Great set up payoff. <laughs> like, who who looks sexier at the end of stage? Yeah. Yeah. Lisa Girl. Ethan Embry get her up there yeah and if you've watched the deleted scenes I will be getting to it there's another person who gets to have their moment on stage at the end in the deleted scene yeah we'll get there we'll get there it's great I I actually it's brilliant I'll explain it but Chris you tell it when it happens yeah Um, it's brilliant we get the shoplifter scene. Um, Mark, as I said, screams shoplifter at the camera. Cringe. Uh, Warren is the shoplifter, played by Brendan Sexton. They catch him. There's a chase scene. Uh, apparently, his stunt double broke his rib when the car door was opened. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> Just because he's so tame, like he doesn't get beaten or anything, and it's like wonk car door. It's like someone did actually get hurt. That's yep. that's really awful. And he, they do a mini photo shoot with Warren and Rex Manning, which is just odd. Um, and at this point, can I just say, like, we've had Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. You've had um, Money, that cover of the Beatles. You've got um, Video Killed the Radio Star. Now, there were lots of cool music 
around at this time. Why did this film not put any of the any cool of it, music? Yeah. These these are songs from 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, they are. And it's like, it's just, it's just got su- stuck in such a rut of middle of the road, American soft rock. Yeah. Like, I, I like the Gin Blossoms. I'm embarrassed to say that. But everything, <laughs> and, uh, and everything else is just like the Gin Blossoms. Like, oh my God, this is so painfully bland. And it's a film about, it's, you know, High Fidelity does it so much better in terms of this fucking cool music in High Fidelity. Mm. And this just, I just can't believe they didn't get the soundtrack right and on that bombshell (laughs) that chris is a huge gin blossoms fan (laughs) we'll take a break hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees Promoting for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, we're back. And we meet Burko, who I'd completely forgotten was in this because he didn't make the poster. Mm. Who's that? Burko. Well, oh, the, no, that's, um, that's the perfect question because yeah. clearly his entire backstory was cut because yeah. there's no explanation to his relationship with Deb. Oh, him. Okay. What's going on, yeah. who he is, why he is. But Burko turns up. Uh, interestingly, uh, he's played by uh, musician Coyote Shivers, musician actor Coyote Shivers, uh, who was married uh, to Baby Buell, uh, who was Liv Tyler's mum, yeah. which mm. makes him, on the set of this movie, Liv Tyler's stepdad. What a family setup. Weird. Yeah. Okay. And she, she had to have a guardian, so he became her guardian. That's not right. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> person my mum is married to. <laughs> Here's some flowers, and that, and that and that 
ballerina girl that Mark approaches, that's Maxwell Caulfield's daughter. Mm. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's a good fact. Very incestuous film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she just turned up to set with her dad and they were like, do you want to be a ballerina and have your foot kissed? (laughs) 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 Vomit. No shoes on. Walking around a dirty film set. He's going to kiss your foot. It's absolutely disgusting. (laughs) Disgusting. Uh, So... As I said, uh, Burko didn't make the poster, but Burko's in it. Uh, there's no explanation again to why Joe is apparently so concerned that Jane, Rex Manning's assistant, is quitting. Yeah, that makes no sense. Their relationship backstory made the cutting room floor, not the movie. Uh, we meet the owner of the store, Mitch, who would rather it was still a bathroom emporium. There's a weird moment where Mark, oh, we just did this, secretly tries to kiss a customer. Uh, I do like the scene. Where Corey wants to take Rex his lunch. Good rule of three. Because Joe is going, Burko's doing it. Oh, that's it, like, yeah. I want to take Rex's lunch. Yeah. Burko's doing it. And then she screeches it at the end. Yeah, it, but this, the lunch scene is not good. So, let's do the lunch scene. She's sexy dancing. She's very sexualized for a nice girl virgin. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying those people don't exist, but it's... It feels like a man has gone. Can you do a sexy dance? She's like, I'm Liv Tyler. Of course I can. That's what but I do. M- must remember, I'm also a nice girl virgin. So it's written, ri- written by a woman. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> People aren't just one thing, Chris. <laughs> True. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is where Max Caulfield is great, though, as Rex Manning. When he sits down, he's more concerned with his lunch than yeah. this girl offering herself. Mm. So he tucks his napkin into his collar, and then it's just, its he's great. I mean, it's so creepy where mm. he just unzips his fly and goes, rock and roll. Turns into, so, he turns into Wim Butler. Does she, oh, oh, no. oh, why did you do that? I'm sorry, Vic. <laughs> So I'm close. as upset as you are. Yeah, but I was, re- I was getting, which is bad. I was close to just getting, I thought I got over it. I thought I was over the line a bit with it. Mm. I don't know why. We'll oh, you've not we'll come back around yet? No. Oh, because you seem to believe that it would all fade away and you'd... For me, for me personally, yeah. Not, yeah. not, not literally. No. <laughs> just that's going to go away, world. No, I just, I, I'm still not there. I'm still not there. No, me neither. Um, so anyway, she is a very confident, seeming mm. young lady in this scene. She fully, almost fully strips. She's getting what she wants. Right. Then she's offered what she wants and she doesn't want it anymore. I understand that. You can change your mind. So why does she not want it anymore? Because That's she, what I'm asking. I think it's the way he says it, doesn't he? He, he says something really awful. I, think I she, can't remember the line. Is it because he it says, looks like he he's says, asking for oral because he's sat down? That's all I could think. And that's not what she had in her head. I think it's that she's just had this realisation. This is what I think it is. I think she had a realisation that actually she doesn't want to do this and she's, yes. not, she's not actually... It, she is. She realizes her own naivety towards sex in that moment, which yeah. kind of goes some way to explain the conversation she has with Gina afterwards, where she's like basically calls Gina a slut. Mm. But that's coming from her own jealousy at Gina being sexually competent, whereas she's just had an experience where she suddenly realized she was out of her depth. Also, Rex yeah. Manning is presented as sort of a romantic, you know, Fop, yeah, yeah. And so she, I think she's expecting a bit of romance here. When when he just wants a quickie, yes. this is not this is not this romantic thing she'd built up in her head when it when is when is it it's just just tricky is it because her sexy dance there's a way of writing it where it's like you're doing all the moves but you're like it's like a facsimile of a sexy dance because you're not actually fully inhabiting it because you've never done that before mm. and but, she, but she's she, so good at she it. did the crazy video so, so yeah, she's, she's very good at that so then when she's like no no thank you like no problem mm-hmm. you didn't see you you just it's such a fucking sharp turn again and then the 
I mean, I understand, yes, a woman wrote it. I don't like this one bit when it's like, now we're just going to turn the women on each other. What the fuck is that? Good. I'm glad you said that because I wrote down, do women really do this? Like when you've had sort of an exposing like moment and your friend is there, do you then turn turn on them? (laughs) No. No, I didn't think so. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily all all cuddles and all, let's have a pillow fight, but it's just Ah, to push... Yeah. Yeah, that's what this movie's missing. It's just to push the low point and I, I don't mind it. I like, I don't mind it when a script is really like, here are the building blocks of the script and here is us building to a low point but two people just having a row well, I wrote like down, that I, don't I wrote down Corrie loses her mind because that's what it feels like I guess this, is there something to do with the fact that she's also been taking all these pills like she's just having a bit of a moment yeah but yeah. I know I agree it's not it's, it just doesn't work you then establish the pills first though so people go oh it's the that's pills it is, yeah, yeah as opposed to later where they, they, like, no they'd already done it they'd already done it no. earlier well, I didn't know what the pills were when she takes them. I thought, oh, I, I'm, yeah. and I'm not. Maybe I'm quite naive, but I yeah. didn't. I didn't think. Oh, that's speed. I, I thought yeah. it could be anything. Yeah, because we didn't have diet pills here, really. Not speed really. Came as a powder. Oh, I, I knew. Yeah. yeah, that's what you could buy in um, when you went to Thailand uh, to the full moon parties. All right, you could buy diet pills over there. Diet pills. Yeah, quote uh, marks. Yeah. <laughs> I took three and fell asleep on the beach. You fell asleep on speed are yeah, you sure definitely yeah i mean they probably saw me coming hello <laughs> i'd like some of these diet pills please <laughs> uh cory goes to apologize to aj uh who was doing an oil painting out back of the store because no one does any work um <laughs> he doesn't want to be friends and makes her jealous by dancing with deb Rex and Gina are discovered having sex sorry yeah i skipped that bit gina sleeps with rex manning to get back at cory for calling her a slut Then, once they're discovered, they all tell Rex he's a loser, they don't like his albums or his hair, which feels like a bit of a damp squib ending Mm. for Rex, because he leaves. But this leads into what Chris was going to say, which is straight after this, there's a scene where he leaves, and we get, and it's a great scene. It was on the um, Empire Records remix fan special edition DVD, which which is where Burke... Turns out I've got... I didn't know. Oh, I was about to buy this and there I found it on my shelf. Video from the from Jim Blossoms on there, isn't there? No wonder. <laughs> um, so Burko and Rex have a conversation out back and Rex suddenly becomes this really sympathetic character. Like he realises that he's a joke. He knows he's a joke. Him and Burko, who obviously is a musician in the movie, have a conversation where Rex says they didn't even let me play guitar on my last three albums and don't he's like to Burko mm. don't let that happen to you yeah and he's then, filled with regret and Burko says that's not going to happen to me mm. and Rex goes you keep that thought mm. and then he sort of walks off into the distance because yeah, his just car it... hasn't turned up for him he's like of course my car hasn't turned up either oh. it, and it, it, just, like it just suddenly gives him all these dimensions of he was one of these kids once yeah. and his, his dreams uh, has been sort of stomped out by that by the industry yeah. and and it sets up the moment Chris is going to tell you about at the very end but in the meantime, we have uh, Corey uh, is screwed up. So her and Deb become friends. Uh, Jane comes back and asks Joe if he wants to have dinner with her, which really wasn't set up. But clearly, <laughs> I think if we're joining the dots, they had some kind of relationship in the past and she went off to work for Rex. They're just <laughs> the only two adults in the film. So the law is they have to get together. That's, that's the way it goes. Uh, Mark eats some weed brownies and ends up in a guar video uh, where he gets devoured. Um, this wasn't in the original script. Basically, guar were playing a show in Wilmington where the film was shot and they were like, ooh, let's get him on stage with them. Okay. That's that moment. <laughs> uh, and then we get the funeral for Deb, which comes way out of left field. <laughs> suddenly happened. Everyone 
reveals their fears. Which isn't the point of the funeral, I just want to say. (laughs) (laughs) If I was dumb, I'd be like, she does say we're not supposed to be talking about me. She does call them out on it. Yeah, but be a good friend and be like, God, I'm so sorry, you're absolutely right. You're obviously really struggling. I'll tell you this another time. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. Yeah, AJ wants to go to art school, but he's afraid. (laughs) Corey wishes she could be like Gina, who is so brave and who is conveniently lurking in the shadows to hear this. Gina wants to sing in a band but doesn't even have the guts to audition, thus transferring Mark's earlier dream of singing in a band to Gina, which is mad. Lucas, I think, was adopted by Joe? Yeah. yeah. A children's home? I think he was. Watching it this time, I was paying a bit more attention to Joe, because I'm his age, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really interesting. His tolerance. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. But it's interesting, his character. He really, he's the only one that takes the time to listen to Deb. He's adopted Lucas. He's obviously going to give Warren a job. And it's like, wow, this guy is adorable. Yeah. What a good dude. Yeah. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank God Warren comes back and starts shooting the place up. Uh, <laughs> he does say what we're all thinking, though. He goes, you all think you're so great because you work in a record store. You're like, yeah. I am so with Warren at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah well, and this this was my issue, even watching it at the time, that everyone is just so affected. Everyone is acting in such a cool way that just people don't act like in real life. Mm. And they're always sort of posing and fidgeting and... It it just drove me up the wall then, and it drove me up the wall this time as well. They're just annoying. Hmm. Uh, Well, thankfully, Warren used blanks, so he gets a job in the store. (laughs) Yeah, well, Joe doesn't care. (laughs) He knows he's a kid with a good heart. Sure, sure, sure. And a gun. Uh, (laughs) And a gun. Uh, This is a crazy moment where Lucas says to Warren, don't let the man get you down, as he's been carted off by the man in the form of two police officers that the store actually called when they needed the man's help. (laughs) It's just such a confused moment. Mm. It's like, we need the man, but but don't take any shit from him. Not you, officers. Thank you for your hard work. Yeah, his (laughs) anti-establishment... Attitude hasn't been worked through. I think. I think they just—if you just keep saying the man enough and you wear a polo neck, everyone will think that's cool. I got a polo neck just like that for Christmas. Did you? Oh, that's nice. A ribbed polo neck. Well, that will keep you toasty warm. That's great. I bought a leather jacket as well to go with it. So okay, I'm gravitating from AJ to Lucas. That was that was my look at the time. Was that? Was and, and I had the similar hair as well. That sort of George Clooney, yeah. Julius Caesar cut. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise I was dressing like Lucas when I was 18. What a knob. But you'll look cool. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Let's get back to the plot that we started at minute two. It's time to save Empire Records so it doesn't become a music town. They decide to have a gig. Five dollars seems a lot for a beer. Yeah. 1995? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I didn't, not to do, well, fuck it, I don't care. So first of all, is it a fundraiser to buy the store or is it a fundraiser to get the takings back that Lucas lost? Is it both? If you're selling stock, existing stock, you're not making extra money because you're selling existing stock. Mm. Who laid out the capital for the beer? This is one of Vicky's sexy arguments. (laughs) And inflation. (laughs) Don't forget inflation at 3%. I'm just saying, you don't have any... Well, they put all their their money together in one scene. So I guess that was... And and it wasn't enough for the nine grand, but... Yeah, but I knew I do know where you're coming from because there's a minute where Joe gives Mitch the owner of yeah. Empire. He gives him the money. Yeah, and Mitch Mitch goes, "I want." Um, 
Joe goes, I want to buy the store from you. And you don't even like music. And Mitch goes, yeah, I'll sell it to you. Looks at the nine grand and says, and says I'll sell it to you for cheap. Yeah. And is the, are we suggesting that he's going to sell his business for £9,000? But actually selling dollars. it for nothing. Because that's the nine grand he lost last night. <laughs> so he's actually free. Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although he does say uh, the funny line, uh, doesn't anyone work in this store? Joe gives him the nine grand. Uh, he gets the store, presumably. And then after all my negativity about this movie, it does leave me on a high. Because all the subcultures come together and it's stupidly cheap and whatever, but it is cute. It's specifically a sugar high. Oh, God. <laughs> I love this song. Do you? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I really love this gig and I love Gina finding a voice and a confidence God, and doing her silly so dance. Annoying, though, like Chris says she does, does she? <laughs> mm, yeah. Like, no. I wanna, oh, my God. She's got a beautiful voice, but fucking yeah, hell, yeah, stop that. Yeah, it's all right. But yeah, the shake of the hand, I would just gently nudge her off that roof at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but who else? Who else was meant to be on stage, Chris? So, um, Following that slight setup between uh, Rex and uh, Burko, um, they're on the stage, and uh, in this deleted scene, uh, Burko starts playing "Say No More, Mono More." Yay! And uh, we look into the audience, and um, Burko waves at Rex from the stage. Rex is standing there watching them, and yeah. he sort of smiles back. And then he's he's invited to join them on stage. He comes up, he grabs a guitar, and he starts absolutely shredding, and it's <laughs> awesome. And he's rocking the place up until the police come, shut them down and arrest him and he's taken away by the police sort of being held back and it's totally rock and roll moment and you feel like oh well that could be setting up Rex's return yeah it rock and rolls bad boy suddenly and so it's and then it cuts away and standing sort of on on a post box across the road watching this all unfold is Lucas sort of smiling and nodding Mm -hmm. like our magical man had planned even that he knew would happen that's lovely but yeah but and it's great. I mean, it's not the anti-establishment ending again. Like it's what is it? It's it's a much more satisfying ending, I thought. Yep. But then it, it doesn't. It's not what this film should be either. <laughs> it's very sentimental. That. Yeah. But the point is, this you've heard this before. The establishment cannot make an anti-establishment movie. Clerks is clerks because kids made sure. it, and then sure. kids found mm. it, and then when the man is like, yeah. I can do that by dint of you being the man. You can't. It's already over. No. Like that's just a fact. Agreed. So agreed. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we then get a uh, moment where AJ tells Corey that he's going to art school in Boston because <laughs> she's going to Harvard in Boston, which is not at all stalkery. No. And she manages to go, don't do that. <laughs> this was very much, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a little fling. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. out. I'm going to meet real people. Yeah, I'm going to Harvard. I don't yeah. know if you know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you were told earlier. Yeah, you were into like bad art and mm. stuff. And that's it. We're done. Save for a brilliant mid-credit scene where Mark and his stoner friend Eddie are discussing music on the curb. Like, and it's just great. And I I'll talk. I'll talk more about. It. Oh, you didn't see it? No, I had to turn it off. After he, he's it saying ended. why. The, he's saying why the Pixies are better than Primus. Mm. Obviously, it's making me think. Why aren't the Pixies in this film? Yep. Um, I did. There are a couple of good songs. There's a, there's a good Lemonhead song. There's a good uh, the Edwin Collins "Girl Like You." Yes. I think works really well here. But then they they have Jim Blossoms very quickly now. <laughs> uh, and then the credits. It's "This Is the Day" by the the from 1983, from 12 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, it's a good song. Mm. Yeah. Like, is this is this just the director's favorite it song? Is. But that's what it is. Alan Moyle, basically, the studio were like, 
just you know okay. cool music from this era right and he's like no 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 no. i really want it to be a tableau of music from all right. generations okay. so this was very much his intention and and, and that's fine but the, the the modern day songs should have been better than this mm. they should have had the pixies but it's interesting because there is a quote from him saying he wanted the soul of the movie to be about music with wandering diatribes about specific artists to anchor scenes and so and that's what that scene is that comes in the middle of the credits and i guess that's what kind of slacker was it's that would be the slacker version of this but he said the studio was in a cocaine mentality yep. while we the movie were in a pot mentality and so he wanted to make a stoner movie which would have worked much better i think yeah yep agreed uh, alan moyle did a director's cut uh, regency then recut it and this is where the problems begin so in August 1994, the plan was to release Empire Records in 1,250 theatres. They decided to screen it beforehand. So Regency did the first screening in a white middle-class area of the San Fernando Valley. The audience mm. loved it. Moyle was pleased, but Regency wanted to test it again. They tested it in a lower-class Hispanic neighbourhood, and the results were disastrous. The cast, the characters' concerns, and the music were all exposed to be very white. Mm. <laughs> Very Why light. did no one notice before? <laughs> so, Regency and Warner Brothers basically see the audience scores from the second test screening and get the fear. Even though Clueless had been a success, they just suddenly decided to downsize the wide release of this movie and literally dumped the film. So instead of over a 1,000 screens, it opened on 87. Wow. Mm. I, I don't understand why they did that. I mean, it's... This would have been a hit, I think, if they, if they properly released it. Yeah. yeah. I do too. It I mean, might not have been a clueless hit. It's not going to be a... Well, it might have been. It might have been. No premiere, no national advertising campaign. No one basically knew about this movie. And uh, like I told you at the start, it made, considering Heiken got $525,000 uh, <laughs> as a minimum for her script, the film made just over $300,000. So, by accident. Mm. I mean, I don't know how a film makes it. To, me, to my mind, it makes it nothing. Or it makes bazillions. But that amount of money is like, did people go by accident and they went into the wrong screen yeah. or they asked for the wrong ticket? Yes, it was an unmitigated bomb. Uh, Warner Brothers yanked it from the screens early because they were the distributor because no one was going to see it. But this is where it becomes this cult uh, because kids saw the poster, people had it on their fucking student walls it was on the, like people yeah, rented it, it. Liv became... Tyler becomes really famous <laughs> yeah. doesn't she not many does anyone else become famous from but, this oh Renny Zellweger obviously yeah. Robin Tunney was big at the time Rory Cochran had a good solid career if not a massive movie star mm. so did Johnny Whitworth Anthony LaPaglia was in a few things Sure. I just said they must become a star. That's <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> You've got two. You've got two. Yeah, all right. Uh, so does this fit into your uh, continuing argument that basically if you make a shit film, Ugh. 20 years later, people will call it a cult classic? It's beat. tricky, isn't it? Because I saw this around the time it came out. I think it's about 96. And then by the time I went to university, like 99, 2000, people loved it. So that's a quick turnaround for a cult film. Mm. So maybe it was always okay and it just, I don't know. When I, I watched know. this in 1996, I was annoyed, but I was entertained. Yeah. When I watched this two weeks ago, yeah. I was annoyed, but I was entertained. Uh, I had a wobble when it was on for about 10 minutes and because I'd made Mark watch it. And that always puts me under a bit of pressure. <sighs> I know. mad. I know. I wish I watched What's it by myself. It's not the terrible decision. And it makes me, we're on the sofa and I start to run cold and I get really twitchy. Do you, do you get your hot? Do you go red? No, because I run cold. Oh, okay. Cold. I've gone still. Well, that's I'm... a different reaction to what we've seen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I get, I don't get nervous, I just get fearful. Right. So I just drain of colour, if oh, anything. 
horrible. <laughs> and then I was, I was like, I, d- I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this. And then that just lifted and everything was. Fine. He was still mad as hell. Obviously, yeah, of course but he was. I can't believe you showed him. This. I don't know what this I'm is thinking. like. This is actually the movie that I imagine he would hate most out of every movie we've ever covered. <laughs> I shall ask him. Yeah, do, uh, but. So all the cast, they make this movie, as you say, some become stars, but they they have no idea that this cult status has built up around the film. And then our friend Ethan Embry, I say ours, Chris's friend Ethan Embry, uh, Chris's mate, ask him if he wants to come on the show, uh, like Fede Alvarez, we're still waiting. Um, He he finds out that they're doing these uh, fan screenings, these outdoor fan screenings, and he convinces the cast to come along, director Alan Moyle, and they end up watching it with a sellout crowd of 4,000 die-hard fans in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. People in costume, people (laughs) yelling lines at the screen, a spontaneous group dance-along, which uh, happens over the film's final moments while they're playing Sugar High, and everyone is like, oh my God, people actually do love our movie. Uh, Moyle's words, uh, it was the premiere empire records never had and producer alan ritchie says it became a damned classic and that's something to be damned proud of he's stretching things well, a bit well i didn't know it had become a cult classic I, I thought it was a hit at the time and it was only two years ago when a friend of mine organized a screening for rex manning day i didn't know rex manning day had become this huge thing that's online nice, on yeah, social media yeah. on april the 8th People talk about Rex Manning Day. They share memes. They share the music video, and they put on screenings of of um, this film. And I'll have something to tweet out every April from now on, which is part of the reason. Yeah. Do you think the people who like celebrate Rex Manning Day are going to want to listen to this episode? No, be honest. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. Thank you for taking the time to, to spend this hour with us. All right, then. Shall we do the bits? Sure. Best scene, Chris. Uh, Any time they play the gin blossoms. <laughs> Because I was the only person in England that bought a Jim Blossoms record. <clears throat> I was the only person. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Smiths and the Jim Blossoms, and that was it. Yeah, it's like, it so similar. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, and the Jim Blossoms. Um, I don't know. I I fell for it a little bit when they do Sugar High at the end. Even even though her handshaking is annoying. I told it's, you. Why didn't you say that at the time? And I was like, I bloody love Sugar High. And you were like, No, she's annoying. I was made a jo- I was making a joke about nudging her off the stage um yeah so that okay sugar high it gets me like yeah i can watch this movie and pick holes in it and yet by the end when they're playing sugar high i literally finished watching the movie then found it on youtube where they've cut it all together without all the talky bits in between and started watching that on repeat i think it's great sugar (laughs) high Talky bits, <laughs> too much talking. Blair Play film. Sugar High. Get Rex Manning on. Mine is when Warren is given the job. Like mm. it's when you said Joe's looking and he's like, "This kid's got heart," kind of thing. And this Joe character, it's what you always say, Chris, about. Uh, films like ambling films of the 80s and early 90s were well lots of films like that where the grown-ups talk to the kids like they're grown-ups but he's a grown man hanging out with irritating stunted teenagers like they're Mm. really fucking annoying and yet he finds them entertaining and entrancing and he can tolerate them which is weird and we don't think he's a pedo no, I, I never is, thought it was Peter. That, that moment That's, where he's talking... She will know. She's got a sense <laughs> for it. Any movie from this era, she can spot a pedo. <laughs> but when he's looking at her, because Warren, the actor plays Warren, is also very good. So when he's like, am I going to get a job? And you mm. think, oh, he's going to turn his life around because of this magical record store. Like, that's a, a proper nice moment. Mm. 
Very okay. good. Uh, most valuable whatever. Can be anything in the film. What is it? Anything in, anything in the film. Anything. Because uh, I... <laughs> Go on, You're right. Yep. Go on. Doesn't, uh, doesn't have to be a person or, or, a, or an actor. Whatever. Most valuable. Whatever. Okay. Cool. It's Renee Zellweger. Uh, Despite uh. the handshaking, she's better at acting than everyone else. Uh. That scene where she calls Corey out over the pills. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Huh? And even the handshaking thing? No, the handshaking thing has got to stop. Right, fine. Um, but she's very underserved. She's the slut, that's it. And mm. when she comes like prancing out in that tiny apron... Oh, sorry, that's my favourite thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never... I don't know if it's just the girls I was hanging out with. I have never met anyone <laughs> like James. that. <laughs> yeah. I've never met anyone like that in my life that at that age would be that confident. It's, it's just my friends, that's fine, mm-hmm. I'll say that. But we would never have yeah. done that. Not no. a pear-shaped body. No, I'd more likely to do it now because I've come into my power. Right, do you yeah. know what I mean? But don't. When, no, I won't. <laughs> Not now. But when I was sixteen, no, no, no. Apart from that little blue cardigan, I was do like, do tune in to uh, watch this video of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clash After Dark. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's just better, isn't she? She's just got more presence than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, okay, Chris Rex Manning. Yeah. Me too. It's obviously Rex Manning. Yeah. It's either Rex Manning or Rex Manning specifically insane or more, sure. more, more. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. that's, that's definitely the most valuable whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, what would you change, Chris? Um, as the film messed up my change that I had planned, um, I think they should show some actual rebellious spirit at the end of the film and trash Empire Records and then burn it to the ground. Burn it down. Um, Establish that the owner collects the insurance, so it's a victimless crime. Sure. But I think forget all the sentimentality at the climax and end with an actual statement of rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. um, Mine is that, and you touched on this earlier, this whole thing about the studio having a cocaine mentality and the filmmakers having a pot mentality. And when you watch that mid-credit scene, which you didn't see, but it's just so understated. And it's talking about relevant bands from that era. And it taps into this one-upmanship that people, music fans, that Gen X thing, and it's like, who knows what? It's like yeah, arguments yeah. about who's better, Pixies or the Primers. Yeah, yeah. All of that, it just feels authentic. It feels real. It feels like if Moyle um, had been allowed to make the movie he wanted, which was loads of moments like that. He talks about how he, uh, in his original director's cut, there was a five-minute discussion of the shags, uh, and uh, there was Eddie, who maintained within the store a, a mini vinyl section, and he did this whole talk about why a razor-shot breakdown of the various Clapton recordings. And I just think... Get rid of all this forced sentimentality, this fucking scattershot, sketchy plot, and just have like kids talking about the music of the era. Yeah. Pull it back, pair it back, and do it low key. And I think you know it would have, it would never have been Clerks, but it would have been a film that actually spoke to the generation that it was desperately trying to reach, mm. as opposed to what we have now. So, you know, I'm going to say it: release the Moil cut. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. Well, the first one's super quick. We've got two corporate dicks. Mitch is a corporate dick. A music town sort of by inference is a corporate dick. Yeah. Collapse those. Just need one corporate dick. But it should be music town, right? I think yeah, that's Mitch. A- what, maybe Joe already owns the store, but he's in. He's got a big lawn, boring, whatever. But Mitch is music town. I yeah. want your store. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. You need to see the big villain. You yeah. need them to walk in. And yeah. it's not enough just having the aprons, the uniforms, or what have you. You need a representative there going. This is how it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, I'm when taking we take your over. record store yeah. from you. 
So that, but the big one is, and you've mentioned this, I don't think AJ and Corey should get together because she's going to Harvard to have a great time. This relationship that's been five years in the making, it, that's, it's not going to happen. It's five years, it's not going to happen. So just be friends. And the message is they're just really good support for each other because what she gets at the end of the film, again, I know a woman wrote it, but he gets from the film, from this funeral thing, the realisation of his true path, which is like, I need to be an artist. And I've applied to art school in the 10 minutes since this funeral and I've Mm. got into art school in Boston. (laughs) Brilliant. What she gets, bearing in mind her dad is a nightmare. She's studying like hell all the time. What Corey gets is a boyfriend. No, (laughs) we're not having that. So she doesn't get a boyfriend. She gets reaffirmation. She's got a best friend. She's got a buddy. She can go to Harvard with some support in her life, which is her buddy AJ will be just down the road and they'll have a nice time together. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) And we're done. Okay. Quiz? Quiz. Quiz. You want a quiz? Yeah, feel the energy. Leave the room. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be that person. I just, it, it just makes me nervous. I've run cold again. Yeah. All the colour is drained from me yeah. and it will return to me. You're as lilac as your blouse. <laughs> I, I've said we can stop doing the quiz. I know. Would but, you like to stop? I don't know. I think maybe I've got this self loathing streak that makes me want to suffer at the end of every show. But you win. You always, always win. You're more or less. Not always. <laughs> it's a, this is a music quiz I've written. I remember an occasion where you won. <laughs> how's, our, how's our music knowledge? I'm not great, actually. What about music of the era of these films? No, no, I just, most of my music always came from mixtapes my friends made me. I was always a bit of a fake music fan. Mm. No. Yeah. Like, I've laughed at the gin blossoms for the whole thing. Don't know the no, gin don't blossoms. Know them. Oh. That's who I am. I'm just, I'm a fake person. I'm a cardboard human. Hey, jealousy. <laughs> what? That's one of their songs. Um, all right. We're going to do it anyway. All right. Okay. I am going to play, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak the first line of a song uh-huh. that was number one uh, when these films came out. Okay. So, Empire Records. Oh, wait, and we have to tell you the song. The song the, and the, the artist. Shout out. Okay. One point for each. Oh, my God. So, if you say the song and you say the artist, you both get a point. Oh, Ooh. that's nice. You might get a shot on <laughs> Nevermind the Buzzcocks. <laughs> Is that still on? It's back on Sky. <laughs> Is yeah. it great? Yeah, All right, yeah. let's see what happens. Do well. <laughs> so, Empire Records came out in America on September the 22nd, 1995. Okay. Here we go. What is this the first line from? <laughs> I hate this. I know, I'm so tense. As I walk through the valley... Coolio, Gangster's Paradise! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> <laughs> I, I have got a feeling this is going to be a disaster for no. me. That was excellent. Thank so you. that was the US number one uh, that week. In the UK, it was a different song. And the first line was... Another day has gone... Uh, wake up, boo, the boo Radleys. I'm still all alone. Oh. Oh, um, oh, uh, Olive it, alone. Uh, boy zone. Another day has gone. gone. Michael Jackson. Yep. Earth song? No. No. All. I'm still all alone <laughs> when you went to hold me. You are not alone. <laughs> 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 all right this is going to sort the men from the boys now all the ladies from the men yep. all the girls um it came out in the uk almost a year later june the 28th 1996 so this is what was number one in the us this is going to be tricky and i've got to try and keep a straight face this is the opening line of the song that was number one in the us uh summer 1996 <laughs> <laughs> give up bone 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 
bone, bone, <laughs> bone, bone, bone. Now tell me what you're going to do. Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. Oh. Would you like me to do it again? Bone, 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 it's bone. It's not boys to men, is it? Bone. No, the clue's actually in that. <laughs> you might not know it. It wasn't a hit here, and it was number one for about three months in America. No way. Yeah, the whole summer, this rap tune was number one in the states, and it, they were never a thing here. No. It is uh, the Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Oh. Okay. The clue was in the bone. Yeah, no. In no. the UK, it's a little bit easier, this one. Right. You, this is just going to have to be fast I here. think I already know it. Can I just go for it? Yes. All right. Was it Country House Blur? No. Oh! She's out. She's out. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. Yeah, because you're going to kick yourself. Alex, strumming my pain with his fingers. Oh, it's the Fuji's. Oh, the Fuji's killing me softly. Yes. Alex got gets one. two points. Oh, thank God. Well played. <laughs> All right, we'll just do two more. Because um, the last two I was going to do, I don't think you'll know. But this one, you will. Okay. High Fidelity came out in America on March the 31st, 2000. Uh, what was this the first line from? Um, ah, I'm sorry. I'm starting with the second line because the first line was the title of the song. Okay. Oh, okay. If no one is around you... Say, baby, I love you. If you ain't running game. Oh fuck! It's um. Oh fuck! It's it's Whitney Houston. New. It is. It bloody is. New. <laughs> no, it's not. Wait. I can sing you the. Oh, say my name, TLC. It's say my name. It's not TLC. Destiny's Child. Destiny's Correct, Alex. <laughs> well played, oh. Alex. Uh, in the UK that week, uh, this is the first line of a song. Uh, want some whiskey in your water? Sugar in your tea. Oh, I don't know that. Oh, it's um, Mama told me to come by Tom Jones yes! and the Stereophonics. Yes! Oh! He's on the comeback trail. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get this one. Uh. Well, even though I had the single, I just don't think it's worth it. So I'll do the last one now, which is the UK one. The other one was going to be, well, I'll do the other one. Somewhere they're speaking, it's already coming in. I don't think you'll know it, an American song. No. I've got the CD single if you want to borrow it. No, I don't know It's it. Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon. Forget it. Final one. Um, this was the UK number one, July 21st, 2000. The daylight's fading slowly, but time with you is standing still. I'm waiting for you only. Lighthouse family. The slightest touch and I feel weak. It's something equally bland. <laughs> oh, what were they called? Uh, Savage Garden. No. Oh. Oh, you're, in the, you're in the right ballpark. Uh, Ronan Keating. They uh, right country. Um, Westlife. Wrong band. Boys Boys on. Wrong band. <clears throat> um, the cause. Bewitch. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, can anyone get the song? Just oh. Give it to me again. Uh, what was the daylight's fading slowly, but time with you is standing still. I'm waiting for you only. The slightest touch, and I feel weak. No, I don't, I don't know. Come, what was on, their, come on, come on. What was their mate? Kill song? me something? No, that's the other one. They, they had like two massive ones, didn't yeah. they? Oh, just hold me. Oh, leave me breathless. Correct. Bloody hell. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> it's a tie. Oh, no. Oh, man. I and I haven't sick. done a tiebreaker. So yeah, it's a tie. Great stuff. What a wonderful quiz. I loved that because I thought that was going to be a lot worse for me. Right, there we go. That's the end of the show. And uh, let's look ahead to next week's Fanuary and another listener suggested clash. I have the clue for you. And the clue is this. A bit weak, written quite late. 
you'd better use one on the other, otherwise disaster! <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. You better use one on the other, otherwise disaster! That's fun. Tough. Great. That's good. All right, there'll be another clue heading your way on our Twitter, at ClashPod. Also, if you would like to give us a review, please do so on Apple Podcasts. We would hugely appreciate it. And do subscribe to us if you haven't done already on whichever podcast platform you use. We are back on Thursday talking high fidelity. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.